Well, good morning. Glad y'all are here today. I know some of y'all see me walk up here and you're thinking it would have been a good week to go to the beach because the regular pastor's not here preaching. But uh, here's what I understand about Christian folks is you're going to be too polite to get up and walk out, so you're stuck with me for the next 85 minutes. <clears throat> Just kidding about that. But uh, so I, I, we're going to enjoy being together today. My name's Cliff Marshall. I'm a member here, a partner here at Freedom, and excited to be here. And Joseph asked me to fill in for him today. He, he was in Kentucky all last week doing some projects for his mom. His mom's actually here visiting and um, going to be with them this week. He was here during the first service. He's probably out there somewhere. So he's, hey, there he is. Hey, and there's his mom. There, y'all give her a hand. There. <clears throat> So he's off today. Don't even speak to him, all right? (laughs) Unless you're crazy, then yes, you talk to him and not me because I'm not paid to talk to the crazy people. He is, right? So, and if you don't know if you're crazy, ask someone, and if they're honest, they'll tell you. But I am really honored to be here and honored that Joseph trusts me enough to ask me to uh, fill in for him some when he's, he's got other things that he needs to be doing. And so today we're going to look in the book of John, chapter 14. So if you've got a, uh, an app on your phone or if you've got a Bible with pages in it, you can find that. It's going to be on the screen as well. And, and the book of John is one of the first four books of the New Testament. It's a book that we call a gospel. So the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew Mark, Luke, and John, we call those Gospels. The reason we call them Gospels is Gospels is just a fancy word that means good news. And and, uh, we just sang about how good God is, and that was a a great way to lead into this. And and so the reason we call the Gospels, uh, the reason that we call those books the Gospels, it means good news, is because those four books outline the life, the teachings, the the miracles, uh, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, that's good news for us because because of those things, we can have a relationship with God the Father. We can be forgiven of our sin. We can live a life of true meaning and purpose only because of what Jesus did, only because of what he did on the cross, only because of the power of the resurrection. So that's why we call those four books of the Bible Gospels. So we're going to look at John chapter 14. I'm going to read the first 11 verses in just a second here. Just so you kind of understand what's happening in this part of the book of John, this is Jesus is having a conversation with his closest followers. So he had these these guys that were called disciples. There were twelve of them, and he's with them. It's a very you know just like them around a table. So you know imagine you with twelve of your closest friends, and, and and you're getting to tell them some things about that are very important to you. And so that's what Jesus is doing. He's talking to his closest followers. He's being very clear about some things, about who he is, about what's about to happen. And so that, that's what we're looking at. So let's look together at John chapter 14. Follow along while I read this, starting in verse 1. Jesus said this, Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way 
to where I'm going. And then Thomas is going to ask a question here. Thomas was one of Jesus' followers. You may have heard of him referred to as Doubting Thomas. The reason he gets that nickname is because Thomas is extremely practical. He's the most practical of all the disciples. In fact, he's so practical that sometimes it causes him, he needs to see, touch, and feel something before he'll believe it. And so Thomas, being the practical one, he asks a very practical question here. And i got to imagine that the other 11 disciples were probably thinking the same thing they just weren't bold enough to ask it and thomas just comes right out and asks it and he says this lord thomas said we don't know where you're going how can we know the way jesus told him i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me if you know me you will also know my father from now on you do know him and have seen him lord said philip Show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise believe because of the works themselves so i want to this passage of scripture is very important all passages of scripture are important but i like this one um, one reason why is because jesus is speaking very directly about himself and and one of the reasons why that's so important is because of this word that you've heard before uh and, and maybe it's not a word that you think about you probably go a whole week uh, at work and you never hear this word mentioned and you don't think about this word and that word is theology and you're thinking, now you're thinking, yeah, I really should have missed today because Cliff's going to get up here and lecture us like a college professor for the next, you know, 30 minutes or so. But just hang with me. Um, theology is, again, like the word gospel. It's a word that has a deeper meaning to it, and you may not know what that, that is. So theology comes from two different words. One is theos, which means God. And then the other one is logos, which means word. So theos, T-H-E-O-S, God, logos, L-O-G-O-S, means word or words. So you put those two together, you get theology. So, so it, practically, it means God words, God talk. And so theology is one of those things that when you express your opinion about God, when you express your opinion about eternal things, when you say, hey, this is what I think heaven's going to be like, and this is what I believe you need to know and do to get to heaven. This is who I think God is or who God isn't or if there is a God. When you say those things, you are being a theologian. You're an everyday, common, practical theologian. You probably couldn't tell me the name of a theologian if I said to you, I need the names of three theologians before you leave that have published books. You're going to be like, Cliff, I don't know that stuff. But you are a theologian. And here's the other thing. You're surrounded by theologians. Some of them are famous people. Some of them are folks you just know. And, and so we're surrounded in the culture we live in. We, we have all of these folks giving us their opinions about who God is, who God is, and is there a God? What, what is, is, who was Jesus? Was Jesus just a historical figure? Was he said who he said he was? Did he do the things he said he did? What's moral? What's immoral? And we're surrounded by all this, and all of that is theology that's being poured into us all of the time. Sometimes these, these theologians are actors that think because they 
they, you know, are great in a movie and win an award, they can stand and hold a trophy and begin to tell us those things. And I know we get all offended at that, like we don't ever do that. But you also know that maybe you or maybe, probably not you, probably some other member of your family, let's blame it on them, they go on Facebook or they go on uh, Instagram or TikTok or some new social media thing that was invented yesterday that I don't know about yet that a nine-year-old probably does. And they go on there and they express their opinions about that and and what are they doing they're being a theologian and we're always seeing that and the dangerous part about that is is that a lot of times that stuff can be based on a little bit of something that's true and then you just change it somewhat Um, some people we I think we're all guilty of this there's a famous person that has done it and and made a lot of money off of it Um, I don't want to call her out but her initials are Oprah Winfrey and, um, and here's, here's what I know about Oprah. Oprah was raised in the church. Oprah has heard the true gospel. I know that Oprah read John 14, or at least sat in a sermon, uh, sat in a church where John 14 was preached to her, and she heard the words of Jesus, and she knew those. But at some point in her life, now again, she's not the only one that does this, because we can be guilty of this. And we got a lot of politicians that are guilty of this. We take some Bible and then we say, you know, this kind of sounds like something that I want it to say. And we start adding our own ideas to it. We start adding our own things to it. And pretty soon, what are we doing? Well, we're doing theology. We're being a theologian. And it's based on a little bit of truth, but it's also based on a lot of stuff that's just made up. And that's why passages like this and all of the Bible, it's so important for us to look at it ourselves and to read what it says. And I love this because we're reading this. These are the direct words of Jesus where we don't have to worry, hey, you know, who is Jesus? What, what's an opinion about Jesus? Jesus told us who he was. He, he's being very direct and very clear. And verse 6 is the verse I want us to look at really closely. When Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nine words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those are nine words that you can build your entire life on. If, if, you, if you ever get confused and you're thinking, you know, I, I can't remember all that Jesus did. I can't remember everything he taught. Uh, you know, I, I can't remember all that. If you can remember this, that Jesus is what he said he is, and that is he is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. If that's all you could remember, that's enough for you to build your life on that. And so he's very clear here about who he is. And that's one of the things I love about the teachings of Jesus is that so often it's simple. Now, it doesn't mean it's not deep, but so often it's very simple and direct. And that's what we see here. Now, the first two words that he says there, we, that's the easy part for us just to kind of skip over because it sounds like he's leading us to the real meat of what he's about to say. The first two words are, I am. But we don't need to skip over those two words. Now, I am is, we use those two words a lot, right? Because we like to talk about ourselves, don't we? So we use a lot of I am statements. If I, if I wanted to, I could ask you right now to the turn to the person next to you and make an I am statement about yourself, and you, you could easily do that. So I am statements about me would be I am married to Sherry. And this coming Wednesday, we will have been married 31 years, right? Uh, I am uh, a dad to Emily and Grace. 
Uh, and I am still learning how to be a dad to Emily and Grace, even though they're grown and don't live in our house anymore. Uh, I am a Gamecock fan. I am often frustrated because I'm a Gamecock fan. So we can all, we all have these I am statements that we can say about ourselves that describes who we were. And, and so it, that just seems like kind of the beginning of this, of this phrase that Jesus says here. But we can't, we can't overlook how important these two words were to the guys who were listening to him. See, Jesus was talking to all Jewish young men. <clears throat> Jesus was Jewish. Didn't know if you knew that. So he was a rabbi. And so these men had left their lives behind to follow this rabbi. That's how committed they were to trying to be a good Jewish young man. They left their lives behind. They're following this rabbi around. They want to learn from him. They want to try to emulate him. And so when Jesus said, I am, it made these Jewish men, it made their ears perk up because if you go all the way back to the history of the Jewish faith, you go back to a guy named Moses. And Moses was living in Egypt and all of his Jewish brothers and sisters, this entire nation, they were enslaved in Egypt. And God appeared to Moses in a burning bush out in a field and begins to speak to Moses through this burning bush. And all of Jesus' followers, they had heard this story their entire lives. And God says to Moses, I want you to go, I want you to leave where you are, I want you to go to Egypt, and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go, that he's got to release the slaves. And Moses argues with God for a little bit, and God's very patient with him, and then God finally says, you're going, and Moses says, okay, I'll go. And then Moses says, but all right, if I go, who am I supposed to tell him is sending me? Who are you? What is your name? And in Exodus 3.14, God says this, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So when Jesus starts this phrase with I am, it got the Jewish young men who were in the room, it got their attention because they're here and wait a minute, is he saying what I think he's saying? Is he saying that, that he's the same as God the Father? And in fact, Jesus had been using that statement a lot. If you look back in the uh, chapters of John leading up to John 14, Jesus had said things like, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. So he had been saying these things a lot. But Jesus was wanting to make it very clear to them that there's no distinction between who he is and who God the Father is, that they are the same. That, that when they hear him talk, they're listening to God the Father talk. And this was a huge deal for these Jewish young men because their whole lives, they had been taught that God's not just a little bit separate from them, but God's very separate from them. In fact, God is so separate from them that just to be forgiven of sin, they had to go to the temple and they had to bring a sacrifice and then one guy could go in one day a year and he could make a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And, and that's what they thought they had to do to be forgiven. So this idea that we have, thankfully, where we can have a close one-on-one -on -one relationship with God the Father, they didn't know that. And so Jesus is telling them, I'm the same. You have a close relationship with me. And when I say I am, I'm the same as God the Father. And in fact, verse 8, Jesus clarifies that when, when Philip asked him the question. Philip says, show us the Father and that's enough for us. And then it was almost like just to clarify, Jesus says, Philip, don't you, you've been hanging out with me for a while now. Are you saying you don't know who I am? I'm telling you I'm God the Father. And then in verse 11, he, he makes it very clear. He says, I am in the Father and the Father 
is in me. So when Jesus begins to make this statement about who he is, he begins it by saying, I'm telling you who I am, and you need to know that when I tell you who I am, I'm telling you who God the Father is because we're the same. And that's extremely important to what he's about to tell them. And so we are surrounded by these theologians. They're constantly telling us things. We try to be theologians ourselves. We want to express our opinions. But if we're going to do that, we need to go back and see what Jesus said about who he was. And this statement here that he makes when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I love it because it's practical, and I also love it because it refutes three really common things that we hear today. So let's talk about that. The first thing Jesus said was, he said, he is the way to God. I am the way. Jesus said, I am the way to God. And here's the, the statement that you hear all the time from false theologians in our culture. That is this. There are many paths to God. There's a lot of different ways to get to God. You hear that all the time. It, people, people will tell you it doesn't matter what kind of church you're a part of. It's like, hey, Cliff, that's cool that you're a part of that church over there, Freedom Fellowship. You know, I hear there are good folks over there. That's great. That's good for you. But, you know, I do this other thing over here. And, uh, and that's the way I was raised. And so, you know, I don't think God's going to hold it against me in the end. And so we, you know, we say all these religions are the same. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist. And we often say it doesn't really matter if you're in a religion. Just if you try hard, you're nice to grandmas, you donate some money here and there, you try to think positive thoughts, try not to do anything bad to anybody. Then in the end, it all leads to the same place. You do that, you do this other, you don't do anything, you just try to be good. And in the end, everybody gets to God. All these different paths to God. That, to me, you know, that's like um, Golden Corral. You ever been to Golden Corral? Uh, I hope you haven't. Or if you did, I hope you just went once and you were like, this was a bad life decision. <clears throat> Don't think I should do this again. But you go to Golden Corral on one plate. You know, you can get corn, some Salisbury steak, piece of pizza, uh, you know, fried chicken, some cotton candy. Uh, <laughs> They got, a, they got a, you know, chocolate fountain at the end. You can dip some strawberries in there. All of that on one plate. And all, you know, so you just pick, pick and choose, pick and choose, and it's all leading to the same place, which is morbid obesity. And, uh, and so that's, this theology is kind of like that golden corral theology where it's you pick and choose, you do this, you do that, you don't really do anything, and it all leads you to God. But Jesus says, no, listen. Jesus said, I am the way to God. He didn't say, I'm one of the ways. He said, I am the way to God. There's not many paths. There's one exclusive path. And, in, and he ends the, the statement in verse 6 by making it very clear. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There aren't many paths to God. There's one path to God. And Jesus said that he was the one path. I think it's always interesting when folks want to say, man, I really like the teachings of Jesus you know, I, I, can't, I can't deal with all the, all the Bible. Some of it seems so hard, but I love the teachings of Jesus. And then, then they also say, you know, and, and I like that he just loved everybody and there's a lot of different ways to God. And you're like, well, then you don't understand the teachings of Jesus. He said that he is the only way. He did love everybody. We're supposed to love everybody. But we can't believe that there's a lot of different ways to get there. There's one path to God. Jesus said that it's him. Second thing Jesus says in this statement, so he said, I am the way. The second thing he says is that I am the truth. Jesus is the truth about God. The truth about God. 
Now here's the false theology that's common in our world today that this statement refutes. And this is kind of a new one. This, I, I just heard this a couple years ago for the first time. And that is this. You've probably heard it. Speak your truth. Not speak the truth. Speak your truth. Now, I understand where the speak your truth statement came from. And it, and it came from people with really good intentions. And the meaning behind it needs to be expressed. And, and so the speak your truth statement came from an idea of there are people in this world who have traditionally not been listened to and they've been marginalized and they've been ignored and I would tell you we do need to hear all voices so I'm not saying that we don't need to hear all voices but speak your truth is not it can't be true because here's why if I speak my truth my truth is based on my experiences and my truth is based on how I feel about my experiences all right really real to me now what happens when my experiences and how I feel about my experiences conflict directly with your experiences and how you feel about your experiences so how can there be two things that are true at the same time when they are diametrically opposed to one another well they they can't be just by the very nature and the definition of what truth is and so when we hear someone say that they're supposed to speak their truth that's a problem it's also a problem because if I speak my truth it's based on my experiences and my feelings that may change next week my experiences probably won't change but my feelings about it can definitely change and so all of a sudden my truth isn't even what my truth used to be Now maybe my truth lines up with your truth, but then it conflicts with this other person's truth. And so this whole thing gets confusing. It's kind of, and and then the other thing is, um, and I think this is the worst part about it, if we're honest with ourselves, when we speak our truth, we don't even always live out what we speak our truth to be. At least I don't. If you pinned me down and said, hey Cliff, I need you to tell me three things you absolutely would give your life for, and it never changes. It, you believe these things so strongly, you believe them to be true, that you would do anything for those things. I could give you three things, and then if you said, all right, now here's what we're going to do, Cliff. We're going to follow you around for a year and a half, and we're going to see if you actually live out what you say you believe. And I can tell you I won't always. And you won't always live out what you say you believe. So if we're going to base our lives, we're going to base our theology on our truth, it's never even going to, it's never even going to line up. It's never even going to work out. It's kind of like a doctor that my dad had that he used to laugh about. You know, this doctor would tell my dad that he needed to exercise. My dad did need to exercise. The doctor was right. Um, but he would tell my dad that, and my dad would look at him and know that this doctor p- smoked a pack of cigarettes a day, worked about 80 hours a week, and ate donuts every morning. You know, and he was thinking, this guy's telling me to do stuff that he doesn't even do himself. And so, you know, that's kind of, it just doesn't line up, and that's the way we are. And that's why it's so important when Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth. When Jesus said that he is the truth about God, we know that everything he said and everything he did always lined up. When Jesus said something to be true, he then went out and lived it, lived it out. He lived that, those, those things that he said. In fact, in verses 10 and 11, 
Jesus is telling us why he could be trusted. He could be trusted because his words and his lifestyle always lined up. In verses 10 and 11, he said this, Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. So he begins by saying, look, the words I speak are the Father's words. I'm, just, I'm not just up here making this stuff up. This comes directly from God the Father. And then he says, the Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. So he says this, if believe the words, I've told you the words, but even if you hear the words and you can't believe them, they sound too good to be true, or they sound too confusing to you, then watch what I do and believe what I do. Believe the works. Jesus gave us two options there of what to believe in. Watch what he did, listen to his words, see if those two things lined up, and they always did. They always did. Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the truth about God. And then the last thing in this verse that he says, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus allows us to live a life for God. A life for God. Now, this is the false theology that this teaching refutes. And this is one you've heard, if you've been to freedom very long, you've heard Joseph talk about this many times. Joseph and I, we, uh, we agree on almost all things except Kentucky and South Carolina athletics. We don't agree on that. But we definitely agree on this. And the first time I heard him say this, I was like, yes, preacher, go get them. I love this. Uh, and here's the false theology that it, that it refutes when Jesus says that we can live a life for God. And that is this, follow your heart. Follow your heart. It's one of the most dangerous statements that you can live your life by. In fact, I think I heard Joseph say one time, I'm going to quote him this time, and next time I'm going to say it myself and not give him credit. I think I heard Joseph say one time that, that follow your heart is on the Mount Rushmore of stupid statements. And it is. You know why it's on the Mount Rushmore of stupid statements? Well, the prophet Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful above all things. I just told you that we have to be careful about false theologians trying to deceive us. You know who you have to be most careful about trying to deceive you? Your own heart. It's more dangerous to follow your own heart than to listen to some false theologian around you and follow what they say. Following your heart is really just about doing whatever you want. And, and, the, and it's so pervasive. Our, some of our favorite movies are about following your heart. Some of the best songs that you love are about following your heart. And I can't tell you how many times over the years I've sat with people and counseled with them and they're telling me the stupid thing that they're doing or they're about to do. And I'm asking them, why are you doing this? Well, I just, it feels like the right thing to do. I'm just following my heart. So you're following your heart to leave your wife. What about what God said you're supposed to do? You're following your heart to turn your back on your own children. Yeah, but it's just, I'm following my heart. It makes, and, and what we're saying is, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make me happy. But Jesus says, we don't follow our heart. Jesus said, who do we follow? Him. In fact, those 12 guys in the room when Jesus is teaching this, you know why they were there? Because Jesus went to them and looked at them and said, follow me. He didn't say, follow your heart, and if your heart says to come along with me, come on. No, he said, follow me. In fact, he said, drop what you're doing, leave your job, and follow me. And he tells us the same thing. Luke 9.23, he says, take up your cross and follow me. 
which even tells me this, when he says, take up your cross in front of it, he's saying, when you do follow me, it's not always going to be easy and fun. You follow me. Jesus allows us to live a life for God because we're not following our heart, we're following him. And when we live the life for him, we can live a life of purpose. We can live a life where we will do the hard thing when it needs to be done. And one of the things, if I've learned anything over the years of living on this earth, one of the things I've learned is most of the time, the right thing, the thing that needs to be done is the hard thing. It's the thing that nobody else wants to do. And Jesus said, we can live that life, but only, only through him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus provides a way to God. He is the truth about God, and he allows us to live a life for God. Now, when I started this, we're John chapter 14. I read the first 11 verses. I jumped right in on verse 6, and we've talked about some verses after that. I didn't really talk about the first couple verses, and you might be thinking, all right, are we, are we getting to that cliff? Or some of you are like, no, I don't care if we get to it. I'm ready to get out of here. Uh, but we're going to get to it now. And, and, uh, but I want to do that by showing you something. I want to introduce you to a picture, or introduce you to a member of our family with this picture. And uh, so here it is right here. Yeah, this is Sally. Yeah, y'all, y'all, all, and that's the reason I told April to be sure don't put that up too soon because it'll distract everybody because she's just the cutest little thing you've ever seen, isn't she? And she's just the cutest thing. Don't let her looks fool you. She's terrible, all right? <laughs> well, let me, let me take that back. Let me tell you, that. she's not always terrible, but she's terrible every day at least a couple times. And this is when she's terrible, when we try to leave the house. She does not want us to leave the house. Um, it's really bad with Sherry. It's kind of bad with me, but it's really bad with Sherry. And uh, when Sherry goes to put on her shoes or put on lipstick, Sally starts going crazy. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> my mom's leaving. This is terrible. When Sherry picks up a set of car keys, it's, it's crazy. I mean, just and craziness ensues, barking her head off, trying to bite her ankles, you know, trying to pull her back in the house. If you crack the door a little too far, she runs out like, I'm going to get out ahead of you and try to stop this whole thing from happening. Now, I, she doesn't speak English. Sally doesn't speak English. So I'm not 100% certain why she does this, but I'm pretty sure that the reason she does this is because she loves us a lot. She really loves us. Not only does she love us, she doesn't want us to leave because she depends on us. And it scares her for us to be gone. And I think she really thinks they're walking out and they are never coming back. This is it. I'm going to be all by myself in this big air-conditioned house with music playing to keep me calm. You know, like that's <laughs> the worst thing ever. And uh, <clears throat> so, so she, you know, she just loses, loses her mind. Every time that happens. Well, the beginning of this passage of Scripture, Jesus says this in, in verse 14. One, I told you he's talking to his closest followers. And uh, he says this, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And um, the word there, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. What, what did they have to be troubled about? Well, Jesus was getting ready to leave, and he had told them that. He had told them that several times. And they could sense that this 
very close personal relationship where they could sit down across the table from Jesus, eat with him, talk with him, look him in the eye, that that was about to be over with. And they were troubled by that. They were concerned by that. And, and so, so it was like Sherry picking up the car keys and Sally freaking out. They, they were sensing Jesus is going to leave and they started getting scared because they didn't want him to leave. They, they didn't know if he was ever going to come back. So Jesus started making promises. When, when we're leaving the house, we make promises to Sally. We, we say things to her like, Sally, we love you. Sally, we're coming back. Sally, we always come back. We say things like, Sally, please shut up. We say these things to her as we're walking out the door. And so Jesus, he could sense they were troubled. And so, so then he says to them, look, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and take you to myself where you can be with me also. So he knows they're troubled. He's getting ready to leave. So he starts to make promises to them and to say to them, listen, I promise I'm coming back. Yeah, I am going away. It's going to be different. But I promise I'm coming back. Why am I coming back? Because I love you. And I'm going to get a place ready for you. So we're not with Jesus physically every day like the disciples were. So it's so important that we don't listen to the false teachings of people and we go back to what he said about himself. Because I can't send Jesus a text today or I can't meet him for lunch somewhere this afternoon to say, hey, I heard this thing this week I read this article this week about you. Is this stuff true? And him sit there and tell me. But what I can do is I can open the Bible. I can go to Matthew. I can go to Mark. I can go to Luke. I can go to John. I can read the rest of the New Testament where Paul wrote about who Jesus was. And I can say, who is Jesus? What does he want from me? It's so important that we do those things. Because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He's the way that provides salvation. He is the truth that provides peace. He is the life that provides purpose. And he's coming back. He promised us he's coming back. And his words and his actions always lined up. He'll fulfill his promise. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that a conversation that you had with a group of friends 2,000 years ago is exactly what we need to hear today in 2022 in a world that's so different than when you lived on earth. Thank you that you always did what you said you were going to do. Thank you that we can depend on you. Father, help us to live by your words so that you can be glorified, so that you can be honored. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.